0: Hello and welcome to this week's Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Simon Thompson. How are you doing, Simon? I'm, I'm well. At a rare visit to London and uh, enjoying being here. Good good to have you here, Simon. I, we've had a few uh, requests from listeners to have you on, so uh, so here we are. I, I will do my best over the next 30 minutes or so. Excellent. So, what are we are going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the election. So, why is we don't do politics in this mag necessarily that you've got some interesting research that we can talk about
1: I've got some very interesting research from the uh, chaps at Panmure Gorton Breaking House who've analysed all 13 elections dating back to 1970 in the UK and um, three of those that were hung parliament by the way but they, they've looked at how the uk stock market performed in absolute and uh, relative terms to global equities um, over the 30-day period prior to the election and also the 30-day period post the election and it makes for an interesting read all
0: right we'll come on to that and then we're going to talk about some of the companies that you've been covering recently um, we're going to talk about sylvania platinum which we also talked about on the podcast last week michael taylor uh had, had a look at that from a trading perspective you're going to put some fundamentals behind that we're going to talk about mercia uh technologies which is one of your bargain shares which has been having a bit of a rough time uh but you've up, you've updated that this morning and that will be in next week's mag uh but but a really interesting story there and we'll take a look at bargain shares uh and and uh, the bargain shares portfolio and how that's doing and and actually it's doing very well it's
1: doing well we, we, we may need more than 30 minutes john
0: We'll we'll just um, we'll stick to the highlights, eh? We'll stick to the highlights. But the performance has been extraordinary. Is it 29.1% this year?
1: Um, it's up 29.1%. I've, I've taken profits off two of the holdings, TMT Investments and uh, Futura Medical, and uh, 48% of the original capital invested in that portfolio is actually now in cash. But to, to put that 29% return into perspective, the, um, the AIM index is actually losing 1% of its value. Since the first of February, when I launched the portfolio, and the M index has actually lost value in the last three months since I updated the portfolio in the in the magazine. Uh, but even the FTSE All Share index that, that's up eight percent since the first of February. But the portfolio is up twenty nine percent, so it's it's done well.
0: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have a talk about why why it's done so well uh, in a minute. Should we start with this uh, this research from Pam Muir? So this week we've obviously had the news that there is going to be a general election. On the 12th of December, uh, a snap election that uh, Parliament, which having rejected multiple times, suddenly was massively in favour of. There you go. Who can work politics out? We usually don't bother trying but it's useful to have a bit of a view that, that can link politics to the stock market and how it performs and that's what the guys at Pamua have done here they, they've done a good job actually
1: they've um, as I said they, they've analyzed the last 13 elections dating back to 1970 out of those 13 elections three were hung parliaments the last being in 2010 when we had the Liberal Democrats and uh, the Conservative parties forming the government but but anyway they, they've looked at how the UK stock markets performed in the 30 days prior to the election the 30 days after the election both an absolute terms and also relative to the global equity indices and it makes for an interesting read i mean firstly in the 30 days prior to the election in the last 13 elections the uk stock market has returned zero absolutely flat
0: okay so pack up do nothing and uh enjoy the run-up to christmas
1: Well, well, maybe not, actually, because the the analysis that um, they've come up with shows that the Conservative Party, if they actually win the election, it's actually generated a 0.6% return in the 30 days prior to the election and over 2% return in the 30 days after. However, if you think Labour are going to win the election, in the 30 days prior to the election, the return is over 1% negative, and actually in the 30 days after, it's just slightly negative. And if you think there's going to be a hung parliament, there's going to be a modest increase in the UK stock market in absolute terms in 30 days prior to the election. But as soon as that hung parliament is announced, hold on to your hats, because on average, the three hung parliaments in the UK since 1970 have produced a minus 7% return of the UK (laughs) stock market in the next seven uh, sorry, 30, 30 trading days. And that, that's, that's interesting. So, even even though we're not a political magazine, uh, depending on your beliefs on how this election campaign is going to pan out, could actually determine how you position your portfolio.
0: Well, it will certainly d- determine how you may position it once we know the result. So, you know, if most of the over or underperformance comes after the election, on election results, though, you can potentially position yourself depending on the result.
1: Well, uh, if if you think that Labour are going to um, be the party that's going to form the next government, then in the next thirty days, history tells us that's not actually a good time to be invested in UK equities. It's quite a different Labour government to the one that we've seen seen, you know, previously. <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's completely different. But what I would say is that it's. It's got certain similarities with some of the Labour governments in the 1970s.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which, obviously, if you're um, a neutral, invested in the stock market, could be a concern.
0: Yeah, there's lots of interesting plans which which would affect lots of listed companies. So, uh, so depending on what the result of this election is, and, and who knows? I mean, the Conservatives have been polling pretty strongly recently.
1: And to be honest, I expect them. We were having this discussion before. I I expect them to continue polling strongly. So if I'm not putting my political hat on, but putting my market hat on, um, I would expect as we get closer to the election day, if those polls hold up for the Conservative Party, so the risk of the Conservative Party's not forming the next government is, is mitigated and reduced, I'd expect the um, stock market uh, to actually start to reflect that, that probability.
0: Mm. I think like me Simon you, you've spent too much time in the shires. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, 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 do, I do like getting out to London though John.
0: <laughs> yeah me too. I think I prefer it in the shires. There you go. Um, we, let's move on to some companies. Let's start with Mercia because that's an underperformer in the bargain shares portfolio uh, but for a, quite a specific reason.
1: It is. I, I, I've written a one and a half thousand word article that's live on the website now And I go through various issues with Mercia, but the key one that I've pointed out is that the weak share price performance, I I put the readers in at 29.5 pence back in February, they hit a peak of 39 pence at the end of July, and they've reversed since the end of July from 39 pence to 23 pence today. What
0: happened at the end of July?
1: Um, the share price peaked, um, but, but also what happened was that Woodford's investment management, the beleaguered fund management group that, um, whose equity income fund is now in effect being wound down, um, holds 19.9% of the equity of uh, Mercia, and in effect there's a stock overhang. Well, that stake has been passed on to Link Fund Solutions, which is basically winding down Woodford's uh, former holdings. And people have got a bit nervous regards that and um, basically holding off buying the shares. And if no one's buying the shares and there's just sellers in the markets, then the share price has just drifted and drifted. My point in the article was that on any basis, if you're a short-term or a long-term investor, at 23 pence, the price of this share is... I'm not saying guaranteed, nothing in the stock market is guaranteed, but the odds are skewed heavily in your favour for a positive outcome. And the reason for that is the net asset value of this company is 41.6 pence a share. That's the last reported net asset value on on the 31st of March this year. Share price 23, by the way. Cash is 8 pence a share. There's no debt. It's got a portfolio worth 31 pence, in effect, being valued at half the portfolio is valued in the current share price. And you're getting a fund management business with over 500 million pounds worth of assets under management in the price for free.
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic stock overhang situation. It, it is. Um, do, do we have any idea? I mean, any expectation of when it might be cleared? I mean,
1: um, I've seen this happen before with some of my other companies, for example, Oakley Capital, um, which is another it's a private equity in, in investment company. Um, the directors there actually st- stood up and they actually bought the shares uh, to actually clear the overhang. Mm. Um, I, I've noted, for example, Watkin-Jones was another one that Whitford had uh, some interest in. And when I found out that the overhang had actually cleared, well, the shares have uh, motored there. That That's uh, uh, student accommodation and uh, private rented uh, housing um, construction company. That stock price is up 20% since my article last, well, actually in July this year. Um, My my point on this one is that there's various ways that um, the company can actually address the stock overhang. One of which would be to use some of the cash to do an incredibly net asset value accredited share buyback from link fund solutions to remove some of the overhang. They have got cash of twenty-four million pounds on the balance sheet at twenty-three pence a share. The company's got a market capitalization of seventy million pounds. Um, the former Woodford funds own twenty percent of that, so the, the stock their stock is worth 14. So the cash of Mercia is actually worth ten million quid more than the stake. Now, obviously, the directors would like to invest some of
0: that cash. I was going to say, they need firepower. But well, is... they,
1: they need firepower. But when I, I interviewed the whole board, I had the whole board on the telephone over the summer. And when I was interviewing them, they, they said, look, you know, we, we came to the market December 2014. Our portfolios delivered an internal rate of return, so that's the annualized rate of return on it, of 14% a year um, our holding periods up to seven years, some of the stocks that we're actually holdings are ready to, um, to sell. They also told me, um, which wasn't in the release, but they revealed to me during that phone call that they've been approached on several of the large holdings, um, by, um, this is unsolicited by the way, uh, by investors who wanted to actually buy part of their stakes. Um, And also, having gone through the runway of their future investments, then Mercia will have to sell some of their investments, and they're in the process of looking at that, in order to fund some of the future ones that they want to invest in. And it would make sense for Mercia to basically bag a guaranteed profit by buying the stock at 23 pence in the market, buying in 41 pence worth of net assets, of that 23 pence, as I said, 8 pence is cash-backed anyway. You're buying the por- existing portfolio, which I actually rate. Um, tell, tell us about the portfolio. Yeah, well, they, they've got some really interesting holdings. One that I was talking to you earlier is something um, called Mederant. And this, this investment was written up by about 1.2 million quid or um, 30% in the last annual accounts. Basically, what this company is doing is, um, is creating a transdermal delivery drug technology. It's basically a patch that you put on your skin. And um, one of the things that it's actually um, patented is an ibuprofen patch. Ibuprofen is a painkiller. Mm, mm. And it will enable people to have a release of the drug localized into their um, system. 200 milligrams is... The, the, the maximum amounts, But that, that's, that's just one area that they, they've looked at. Um, that's that, quite lot,
0: kind of obvious. I mean, yeah, what, 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 your Nicorette patches, what, you know, for giving up smoking. It's like an that? obvious delivery mechanism. The,
1: the, the, I mean, this, this is actually past clinical trials. It's past phase one studies. They're looking at doing a phase three efficacy um, uh, trial on it. But the ibuprofen market's worth $4 billion globally a year. Mm. And there must be people out there that would actually take it, that can't take it. Uh, for various reasons, um be it you know um gastrotoxicity or um um improving the way the dose is actually delivered into the system. Um, they, they're also they 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 painted in other uh, patch technology. that they're in um they they've done a licensing deal with Bostic, which is the um um glue, isn't it? Yeah, well, adhesive. So yeah, they, yeah. basically they've created this patch which doesn't create red marks on your skin it can be water resistant it's basically consumer friendly to actually use and anyway that that um, company um, the state was written up Uh, they've had another syndicated funding round since the annual results i expect it to be written up again but that that's just one company that they they're invested in you know i've gone through the portfolio of the um, Mercia, they've got 22 investments that represents about £90 million of the £93 million investment portfolio. And they've got some cracking companies. And the reason why is that they represent third-party funds. So they get fund management income from £380 million worth of mandates. By the way, back in 2014 when they floated, they only had £22 million worth of mandates. So their mandates have gone from £22 to £380 million in the last five years. Um, And then those early-stage technology businesses, they cherry-pick which ones they want to invest their own money in when there's a secondary or tertiary funding round, and they're in an ideal position to actually do so. And you wouldn't expect them to actually lose money on their investments, hence they've generated a 14% internal rate of return – And they've made disposals as well along along the way. So it's not as if, you know, this is some arbitrary figure that is plucked out of the air. It's a figure that's actually backed up by what investors have actually invested in those investee companies Mm. at a later date after the initial funding has actually been made and the prices they're uh, paid. I mean, for example, Oxford Genetics, which is a designer-developer of biological molecules, that's proteins, viruses and cells, it basically specializes in synthetic uh, biology market. Well, they had to syndicate a funding rounds um, earlier this year, which led to almost a 10% uplift in um, Mercia's stake in that company. Um, and it, it's one that was actually backed by the operational performance of the company. It's been signing licensing deals for these synthetic um, um, molecules. Um, uh, for gene therapy manufacturers, so there's actually an end market out there to to use this technology. They've actually developed and
0: patented. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, sort of this sort of early stage capital type business was was quite a prominent theme in your bargain shares portfolio this year.
1: Um, it it was. I mean, I, I, for example. I, I, I put um, readers into a technology stock called TMT Investments. That's slightly different because that was more Silicon Valley um, stocks like um, they've got a st- um, stake in Uber. I took readers out of it after the stock had produced 140% return in six months because I thought it was actually priced as highly as it would go. Mm. I still like the company, but not necessarily the shares so that this, this valuation. But, it, you know, the long term investment case for it still holds. Um, um I looked at Augmentum Fintech, which was the first fintech company to actually list on the London stock markets. They've got stakes in things like Interactive Investor. I'm actually just waiting for Interactive Investor's accounts to be published at Companies House to see what their latest financial performance is.
0: It's quite, it's quite interesting you say that. You know, it, it strikes me as a, a common theme in the way you look at these, these companies that are pooling unlisted investments or even listed investments to, to look at the portfolio in detail. That's kind of, kind of a lot of work, it says.
1: It's a shed load of work on <laughs> I mean, for, for example, I was talking to um, uh, James Norrington um, earlier and the alpha reports, um, actually the two alpha reports in the most recent months I produced. I went through every single company in the portfolios. Uh, one was a property company, so I went through every single company that they had a tenant with.
0: you can visit them as well?
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think i think you should do I was, I was, the, the pictures look great um, <laughs> get,
0: get uh, on google street view that would that would do it
1: um i, I did actually john um, <laughs> and uh, the the previous one from august uh was an investment company that was trading not much above cash on the balance sheet and i looked at the investment case of every single one of its seven investee companies and yes it's a huge amount of work but um the returns that you can actually make by by doing this groundwork can be quite significant. Obviously, not Mercia to date. You know, it went up, it's down, it's it's you know, it's roughly twenty percent below the price I said buy back in February. But as I said, there's a reason for that. And actually, the thing that I haven't raised already is I, I don't just look at the fundamental case, and I, I don't look you know at every single company that they invest in. I also look at the technical um, angle as the well, the charts. Yeah. Um, and what I can point out with Mercia is that if you look at the fourteen day RSI relative strength index on the uh, the chart is in the mid teens. Is the reading that means it's massively oversold? The last time it was at this depressed level, the RSI, the fourteen day RSI, was in September two thousand seventeen. Guess what? It was a turning point.
0: Yeah, share price big rallies after that. Share
1: price rallied forty nine percent. The the time after that, the RSI was at this level was in August two thousand eighteen. Guess what? Share price rallied forty percent from that point and the last time was in June this year and the share price rallied 29%. So what what I'm trying to say is that from a technical perspective the massively oversold shares are buy from a fundamental perspective um, as I've outlined the ability for the board to do cash um, sorry net asset value accredited share buybacks um, is is a compelling case to do that. Um,
0: You should send them your fees for the corporate finance advice.
1: (laughs) Well, well hopefully, hopefully the directors will be listening to this podcast so they, they won't have to pay the corporate finance departments. But, um, but 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 it, it doesn't matter if you're a short-term investor or a long-term investor. This stock is priced to actually generate decent returns. And as I said, the directors, during our conversation, they've been approached with regards to some of their larger holdings, you know, portfolio 90-odd million pounds, 22 holdings, um, by investors who wanted to buy into them, um, which would indicate to me, A, that they're sensibly priced to start with, but B, there can be valuation upside too on an exit, and they're looking to exit some of them anyway. Um, on any basis, Mercia's a buy.
0: Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, so, uh, big report, as I said, on the website today on Mercia, so have a read of that for, for, for even more detail. Um, you're also looking at uh, Sylvania Platinum, as I mentioned, another pretty pretty bullish-looking story there.
1: Um, I put readers into this in my 2018 bargain share portfolio. The stock then was about 14.5 pence. Um, the reason for doing that is, that, by the way, it's about 37 pence today. Um, but the reason for doing that is that it's a company that basically takes chrome tailings um, from uh, mines in the Bushville complex in South Africa. Uh, the mines are actually run by a private group called um, Samancor. And they take these tailings and they put them through a retreatment process. So they're actually extracting um, platinum group metals like rhodium, palladium, platinum from them as well as nickel. And
0: those metals have been doing particularly well from a pricing perspective recently. Well,
1: to to Hmm. give you some idea, rhodium, um, and rhodium, the revenue that Sylvana will generate in the current financial year to June 2020, Accounts 40% of Liberum, which is the house broker, their revenue forecast. But um, Rhodium's um, price is roughly, it's just under $5,000 an ounce. Well, it's gone up five-fold from a thousand dollars an ounce in the last three three and a half years
0: what's what's driven that what do you do with rhodium that makes it so it's, so it's, in demand
1: it's fantastic in the um auto catalyst uh, for catalytic converters and cars and it's got the added benefit over platinum that it actually is better at reducing um harmful um emissions um from cars as well and as you're aware that's not just in the uk but in the us and across the world um there are very stringent new emission standards that car manufacturers have to um abide by and these auto catalysts have got a three-year um design replacement cycle so we're actually bang in the middle of the current one which rhodium um was one of the chosen um precious group metals that some of the car manufacturers have actually put in those um, auto-catalysts. It's an incredibly tight market. 85% of the world's production of rhodium goes into car manufacturing, but rhodium only accounts for 7% of the um, precious group metals that go into the auto-catalyst. So, it,
0: I mean, it was platinum?
1: Yeah, you know, it was it's platinum, and then it was palladium, and now rhodium... And the, the price has gone ballistic. I mean, platinum's gone ballistic as well. You know, it's, it's trebled in the last three years or so. The platinum price is $1,800 an ounce. It was $600 an ounce back in 2016. So it's done well, but it hasn't done as well as rhodium has done. Um, the point that attracted me to Sylvania in the first place when I did the research back in um, January last year and put it into the bargain shares portfolio was that Sylvania's exposure to rhodium palladium is far higher than any other mining group out there. Um, Secondly, um, analysts are very conservative in their forecasts. Uh, Liberum have actually priced in a rhodium price of about $2,950 an ounce in their full-year forecast, which implies that the profits for Sylvainer will go up 20% this year.
0: Is there, I mean, I'm looking at this and hoping it's not a misprint because we say in the magazine it's now $4,950 yep, an hour. Yeah, you got it. So basically, <laughs>
1: basically no, no, Liberum have embedded in their forecast. Their, their forecast suggests that um, pre tax profits of Savannah will go from £23.9 million in the 2018 19 financial year to $28.9 million. Uh, by the way this is only a 95 million pounds market capitalized company
0: i'm also looking at this this uh, this line in the uh, penultimate paragraph that says it's trading on a cash adjusted p of 5
1: oh, well it's not just 5 but that 5
0: <laughs> that 5
1: underestimates the value and offer because Liberum, as i said have, have embedded in their forecast a 2950 dollars announced rhodium price now if they if the rhodium price stays at the current level, and I've got no reason why it shouldn't, because the market is tight, there's demand out there from the car manufacturers for it, Liberum would have to increase their cash profit estimate by 60 to 63% for Sylvana, And to give you some idea, that's $23 million. And all that cash profit would drop to pre-tax profit because the depreciation charge is static at six million dollars a year Mm. so in effect we're increasing the operating profit or the pre-tax profit by 23 million dollars for a company that did 23.9 million dollars pre-tax profit last year there's forecast to do 29 million dollars this year well actually it could do over 50 million dollars and if it does that the cash adjusted p ratio falls to two and a half and it gets better still because they've agreed to sell one of their non-core assets for 7.6 million dollars well their current cash pile at the moment is roughly 26 million dollars well that that's just one non-core asset by the way there, there's some others actually on the slates um that cash adjusted p ratio could actually drop to below two. it's
0: extraordinary, it's extraordinary. well it is extraordinary i mean it's, it's a hell of a margin of safety which is often what we're looking for well
1: it's a spend gram margin of safety i mean i i've noted some of my other companies have um been derated you know Back at the start of September, I I wrote an article on urban exposure which does residential loans and pointed out that with a stock price of 45 pence and cash in the bank of 30 pence and a loan portfolio worth 50 pence that your margin of safety, oh, sorry, and a dividend yield at the time of 11%, your margin of safety was in Ben Graham territory Mm. big time. Mm. Um, Well, with Sylvania, it's the same. So although the stock has gone from 145 to... 37 pence, that doesn't fully reflect what's happened to the rhodium market, the palladium market, in the last 18 months to 20-month periods. And the cash generation this company is going to throw off between now and you know June next year and beyond. I mean, that cash pile, just from the operating cash flow of the company, um, he's just reported Q1 results, by the way, to the period to end September. But anyway, that 26 million... Cash pile, it's going to increase to $37 million on Liberum's forecast using the lower rhodium price. Can you imagine if it generates an extra $23 million worth of cash profits. It is cash pile by this time, well, June next year, and after factoring in the disposal I've mentioned, could be $70 million. Mm-hmm. Well, the current exchange rate is $1.28 to the pound. So you you know, that's like fifty-five million sterling of cash for a company worth ninety-five million sterling.
0: You sound pretty positive here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my pick
1: in the mining sector, and I think people, you know, got a bit spooked with recession worries and the car manufacturers not actually understanding. Well, there's how- lots
0: there's lots of worries around car manufacturers. I mean, the you know the, the market looks pretty horrible. There's been a lot of moving parts in terms of. Of emissions, in fact, and and, and, all, and all sorts of shenanigans going on there, and obviously there's the shift to electric, so you can see why people would get worried. But,
1: but they could get worried, but and they ha- they have got worries, but they've misunderstood that actually the the precious group metal um, basket that um, that Sylvainer actually have has such a high proportion of palladium and rhodium in it, and as I said, these metals are actually good. In the auto catalyst, mm-hmm. they actually reduce the emissions, the toxic emissions that come out from cars. So it's actually positive for the new emission standards. Um, there's actually going to be more demand for those metals rather than less demand.
0: Uh, even if that's in the replacement parts... Uh side of things rather than the new car market absolutely Excellent. absolutely this was a bargain share wasn't it uh yeah, not, so, so this, not this year no no
1: it was it was february 2018 18 so it's, bargain shares yeah yeah i know it's done amazingly well and you know it's up over 150 percent. but but i honestly believe that it could be worth 60 pence a share from the current 36 and a half 37 pence a share mm. well actually the other thing worth noting which i noted I, I listened to the podcast that michael gave with you last week was the you know, you looked at the charts and whether or not the share price would bounce off a key level. Well, it did this week, and that key level was both the 150-day moving average um, at about 31.5 pence and the 200-day moving average slightly higher. And that, to me, is another bullish take um, from a technical perspective um, on, on the investment case to buy these shares.
0: Yeah, so it shows the value of mixing up the kind of ways you look at, at uh, uh, companies and, and, and their shares. Um, take multiple approaches. Triangulate.
1: I, I, to, to be honest, I think you've got to... You, you can't just look at a company and the share price looks very weak and think, oh, this has got to be a bargain buy. If it's going to get weaker and weaker... Um, And if a share price does get weaker, which it has in Mercia since the summer, you ask yourself the reason why. Is it operationally something gone wrong? Is there something wrong with the portfolio? Or in the case of Mercia, it's just that you've got a seller out there that owns 20% of the stock that will be cleared at some point. And as we've seen with Watkin Jones, as I said, the stock price there is up 20% in the last three months. Um, Or other holdings that uh, Woodford Funds had shares in that have been cleared out there is scope for mean reversion back to where the stock price should be. And when you're actually buying a value play like Mercia, well beyond as well, mm. um, which is why I think it's going to reward both short-term and long-term investors um, at this level.
0: Should we, should we talk a little bit about uh, bargain shares? So, so we've talked about the performance, which is fantastic. We've talked about Mercia, uh, which has not been so fantastic, but, but, but a strong case there. Let's just quickly have a look, to end on a on a sour note, with Driver, which is the underperformer in the portfolio. What's the story there? And I know you updated on this recently, but just talk us through It's thinking.
1: It's an engineering consultancy, and it's cash-rich. It's going to pay out a dividend. It's going to double the dividend to one pence a share this year. They've had a pretty close trading update recently. They had a problem in the Middle East. Um, the Europe and UK activities have been really, really good Quite buoyant. The pipeline of business is fantastic, by the way. Um, But their their problem was out in the Middle East and they couldn't recover um, from the first half shortfall they had in that business. Um, So what they did was trim costs. They reduced their cost base by £200,000 a month and pretty sharply as well. And my view on the stock is twofold. One, the benefits of that reduced cost base will feed through in the financial year to end september 2020 um secondly their pipeline of business um is as good as it has been in the last six to eight months uh, which tells you a lot about a the companies they're actually dealing with and b that their 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 approach as well um but the final thing is it's just purely valuation that's If you're going to sit back and actually take a view of this, the stock is trading on a cash-adjusted P-E ratio of about eight driver group for the 2020 financial year. And the majority of the profit growth that's going to come through is already banked because that's from the reduction in the cost base. So I can do a bridge between what the company is going to produce, which is roughly... I think pre-tax profits, about £3 million for the financial year to September 2019, and what analysts and one singer are predicting, which is profits, pre-tax profits, of about 20-odd percent higher in the current financial year, well, actually, I can see why that's going to happen, even on flat revenues, because they're not factoring in any revenue growth in any way, um, but you, you can see the drop through of the cost savings and the higher margins, operating margins, actually feeding through to the business in the coming year. So although the, the stock is down, it's you know it's, it's not my yeah you know, it's not a great story. Again, you know, the stock is down twenty five percent or so from where I said buy back in February, but actually I can see recovery potential on it. And I'll be speaking to the directors mid December this year when they actually release those annual results. I mean, fortunately, in terms of the portfolio, which is done, you know very well it's, it's up 29 percent it's it's roughly flat on the last quarter which in the current market i'm very happy with because the aim index is down at roughly three three and a half percent in the last quarter um but in terms of the portfolio i've taken profits out of a uh, futuro medical which is a healthcare company that has a topical gel that did fantastically well
0: what did you get out of that one then um i
1: 129 profit on that one john
0: extraordinary
1: and i got out of tnt investments with 140 percent profit um because as i said you know I, I thought that it was priced as highly as it would be and it was a good decision to take profits then so basically if you bought into both of those stocks um you've realized and you know invested say a thousand pounds in the 10 stocks each back in february you'd have taken out about 40 748 percent of your original capital and which de-risks the portfolio mm. it also gives you cash to invest in other stocks that may appeal and which hopefully you know i'm bringing to people's attention um on a weekly monthly basis but it, it, it de-risks the portfolio so I'm, I'm actually really comfortable with the 29 percent return given how markets have been and
0: Com- know, comfortable that's very that's very um well, it's very humble of years. So. <laughs> well,
1: well, it's, it's, it's a great well, return. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's thumped the All Share Index by over 20%. And it's thumped the uh, Fitzy Aim Index, All Share Index, which is showing a negative return of minus 1% um, since the 1st of February. Um, but the point is, the bargain share portfolio is designed in order to produce superior returns um, for readers. And, you know, clearly it won't do it every year. Um, but then again it doesn't need to if it can produce returns like that um, I mean the the long-term track record is about a 20% return on the first year in the last 20 years since I've been doing this so obviously with the return of 29% after the first nine months then you know we've done better than the long-term return on it
0: yeah I mean you say it doesn't it doesn't win every year but I mean, the track record is, what is it, 16 out of 20 years. It's
1: yeah, so we could you know, and... Yeah.
0: 17 out of 21
1: seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, to be honest, because having to risk the portfolio, even if the markets crash, which I don't think it will at all, then, you know, the portfolio will still outperform the market and produce absolute returns. Excellent.
0: Um, Excellent. Thank you, Simon. Uh, and, and well done. No,
1: it's been a pleasure. And um, I I will be starting research on the 2020 portfolio um, late December, early January. I mean, there's a huge amount of research that goes into it, John, um, before it's actually published on the 7th of February
0: 2020. Excellent. Looking forward to it. I am around too. Around the corner. I am too. Um, and, and I mean, you've written about some other ma- uh, companies in the magazine this week. Uh And in fact, you've written about hundreds of companies since the last time we spoke on this podcast. So, always plenty to read from Simon Thompson in the magazine. Do pick it up. Let me just talk you all through what else we've got in the magazine. It's a good one, actually. One of my favourite pieces in this week's magazine is The Sex Focus which uh, looks at the issue of plastic waste and waste management in the UK, which is uh, both a a politically and economically important uh, topic. And uh, Nalushi has done a fantastic job there, really getting to grips with that. I think we could look into this subject much more. It's potentially uh, something that that, that investors could make a lot of money out of. But there's muck and there's brass, eh? Where there's, well, muck, there's brass Well,
1: actually readers of my alpha report, um, which came out Friday last week, will have noted that Biffer is one of the tenants for this property company uh-huh. um, that I flagged up because you know yield seven, dividend yield seven and a half percent and discount to net asset value almost 25 percent. Um, but this company have also invested in an energy plant. So it's basically recycling.
0: Wait, waste to energy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about here.
1: And the financial returns without subsidies... It works,
0: and it's gonna it's gonna have to happen because because there had there had been many years where we simply stuck the stuck the waste in a in a shipping container and sent it over to uh, someone else to deal with, but that that's all coming to an end now, which is why this is such an important topic. We've got all, all the usual tips, uh, a few results. Let's get this quietened down a little bit as we uh, head into uh, to the autumn. Lots of comment, including Simon, but um, uh, we also have the trader and uh, Christy Lowe, of course, as usual, and uh, Mr Bearball. Looking at something we've looked at regularly in in, in recent weeks, uh, and that is the issue of new management. Alex Newman has returned to uh, something we haven't looked at for a very long time, which is retail bonds, which which were really interesting and and the hot thing on the market at one point, but have sort of since gone out out of fashion a little bit. Um, but there's still some value to be found there. Uh, lots in the personal finance and fun section, including a, a roundup of uh, the, the best deals on platforms uh, for Sips and Isas, uh, and a look at Woodford Patient Capital Trust, which is uh, another sort of victim, recent victim of the whole uh, Woodford debacle. And the cover feature, which is looking at ways that you can spot trouble coming, uh, written by Philip Ryland, Seven Deadly signs, And this is some of the accounting trickery that, that companies uh, indulge in, which can catch investors by surprise and see your investments uh, blow up, as it were.
1: I'll I'll have a read of that on the train home, John. It's uh, will will make the lengthy rides uh, more comfortable.
0: Excellent! It's a fantastic feature. It will uh, keep you occupied for a significant part of that journey. I'm sure um, it will. Thank you, Simon, uh, and thank you. Oh, sorry, I almost forgot to mention. We've got a new a new feature in the magazine this week, which is the news feature. So. Um, We've got lots of news coming out of uh, other markets, Q3 results coming out of the US in particular. And this week, we're, we're going to cover those in, in much more detail than we have done previously. This week, we're starting with gold. So, we've got lots of results coming from gold miners in the UK, but we've got some results coming from overseas as well. We're going to do the same with tech. We're going to do the same with banking. The DPS in the news section and new things. So, hopefully, that will give you a, a bit more of a flavour of the sort of global context in which the UK market uh, is operating. So, Anyway, there you go. Thank you, Simon. And thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine in All Good News Agents, Seven Deadly Signs, How to Spot the Fatal Flaws That Could Blow Your Investments. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you.